My name is Kara Ginger, and I'm your host of Know Better, Live Best. Our guest today is a California board licensed acupuncturist. Aaron Lee is the owner of Box Acupuncture, located in San Jose, California. Listen in as Aaron informs us about traditional Chinese medicine, the role nutrition plays in your health, and why he believes in Biteable Foods' mission to add transparency to the food system with technology. No Better Live Best is dedicated to supporting food and health literacy in people of all ages. Our mission is to cut through the misinformation surrounding food, health, and nutrition because we believe that when people know better, they can make the right choices and live their best lives. We are presented by Biteable Foods. They use blockchain and Internet of Things technology to build traceable, transparent food systems because it shouldn't take an investigative journalist to find out where food comes from. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for coming on No Better Live Best. Hi, thanks for inviting me. I was um, talking to you earlier. You're in California. Yes. I, I love California. I'm in Iowa. Obviously, I don't think I've said, but California is the best. My dad actually grew up there. So we visit California a lot, kind of like the San Diego area. Oh, that's awesome. Here, San Diego is so nice. Mm-hmm. nice. Oh, gorgeous. Yeah. We're hoping maybe next summer. Maybe. Yeah. Keep my fingers crossed. <laughs> So let's jump in because I think this will be really interesting. So tell us about your background a bit and how you um, started with traditional Chinese medicine. Sure. So um, I got into traditional Chinese medicine actually in my uh, junior year of college. I was um, pursuing why I finished my um, bachelor's of science in microbiology. And so it was during my junior year, actually um, during midterms, where um, I was having a lot of stress, as you know, midterms usually imp- impact people. Um, and then actually, um, it was also the springtime of um, Texas weather. So if you're familiar with like Texas weather at all, um, the spring and the fall, there's like tons of allergies. Um, I was popping Claritin like candy, like M&Ms every second, you know, just trying to get through the allergy season as well as studying for midterms and getting through that. Um, And so a friend of mine actually introduced me to acupuncture and he had used acupuncture pretty much his whole life um, ever since he was a kid. Um, And so going to, I went to um, his community acupuncturist with it, which community acupuncture is a very specific um, setup of acupuncture. It's actually a little bit more relaxing. Um, It's a group setting um, of acupuncture, which we can go into that a little bit later as well. Um, But essentially after the first treatment, I noticed uh, I was a lot calmer um, and my allergies were not nearly as bad. Um, The acupuncturist did give me some herbs as well, which really helped, um, you know, with any of the allergy symptoms like the runny nose, itchy eyes, you know, hay fever type of stuff. So after that, I was like, you know, I'm... I was kind of at a crossroads. I had to decide if I wanted to go to medical school or if I wanted to go to graduate school for research. Um, And for me, I was like, well, if I can go into this and really just help someone um, in the least amount of education, because, you know, seven years of medical school is just a lot. Um, So I decided, you know, to go into traditional Chinese medicine and, and look up all of the graduate schools around the U.S. to see what would be the best bet for me. What is exactly traditional Chinese medicine? I mean, I was on like the website and things like that, but for the audience out there. Yeah, so traditional Chinese medicine is a form of holistic medicine. um, And I think that word is kind of used everywhere. But holistic is essentially um, mind-body medicine, where you're actually combining um, both like physical medicine as well as like spiritual medicine to some extent, a little bit of energetic medicine. It can sound really abstract, but it's actually... Um, something we do in everyday living, like anyone who knows yoga um, kind of can integrate the ideas of like having a meditation practice that benefits them in more than just like the physical way, you know, like stretching and things like that and exercise is all really amazing. And then there's the mantras that go with yoga as well. So traditional Chinese medicine was actually, um, it was sort of um, written down at least from what we know as practitioners, um, we learn about it through the classics. And so the classics are these old ancient texts that were written Mm -hmm. 2000 plus years ago in um, very ancient Chinese. And there's only 
a handful of people who are actually able to translate that sort of text. Um, so they were essentially medical books. You know, they were ways that people were living. They were integrated um, nutrition. They integrated exercise. Um, they integrated acupuncture, which is you know the main form of traditional Chinese medicine that we use today, to essentially correct the body's imbalances. And when you're able to do that, you're able to treat disease from so many different angles, um, both physical as well as emotional. And that's where I think the holistic um, side of the medicine comes in is that when you treat someone's emotions, you actually can have an effect on their physical body. You know, like when we're really stressed out, we kind of hunch our shoulders and our necks go forward and, you know, we feel that muscle tension. And so that's one way that um, acupuncture can kind of um, help with, you know, any sort of musculoskeletal pain as well as emotional things that are going on. Um, so it's really an, an all-encompassing form of medicine that integrates so many different aspects of uh, modern living. And, it, and it's effective in modern living as well because we are surrounded by so many different triggers that um, cause us to be like super stressed out. Mm -hmm. um, our sleep is not so good. And then also like our digestion is not good because the quality of food nowadays is not the same as it used to be. So, um, so in short, traditional Chinese medicine is holistic and it's functional medicine because the idea is that we're just kind of balancing out the entire body. So is this probably a big question is all acupuncture like traditional Chinese medicine or are there difference? Are there other differences? Cause I had a friend that I know, um, has gone to an acupuncturist. I mean, yeah. is that considered traditional Chinese medicine? Yeah. So um, in traditional Chinese medicine, we generally say there's five branches. Um, and again, I, I learned the five branches because, you know, my school is actually called five branches here in San Jose. <laughs> so one of the branches is acupuncture. Another branch is um, Qigong or Tai Chi, energetic sort of medicine. Another one is dietetics. Um, another one is herbal medicine. And then the fifth one is um, some breathing techniques as well as, um, you know, just kind of integrating all of them together. So, yeah, so there are different styles of acupuncture and it's, and it can't be said that um, acupuncture is only traditional Chinese medicine because okay. there's Korean acupuncture, there's Japanese acupuncture. I've even heard of um, some forms of Native American acupuncture, which they, you know, they use porcupine needles, which I think is amazing, you know, and then there's this other like interesting wave of people actually using like bee needles you know like it's just so interesting but they're able to do these amazing things and heal people with so many different uh, diseases and conditions um, so in short you can say the majority of acupuncturists in the u.s are probably um, practitioners of traditional chinese medicine okay yeah because i had um a big back problem i'm still i'm trying to treat it more through um, whole food, like plant-based diet, which I know helps a lot. Like you said, talk about digestion and um, even just the mental aspect. But my friend was talking about acupuncture. I was like, oh, maybe. But I feel like that's something I really had to look in, into, like really research yeah. because it's not something I know a lot about. Sure. So tonight, tonight I'm going to find yeah. out a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is really exciting. So if you had someone come in, we'll just say me. I, it was a um, herniated disc and just nerve pain down the leg, things like that. What is something that you tend to go to? Yeah. So there's kind of two thoughts that we can go to when it comes to, you know, this specific um, condition. So um, we can work distally and we can also work locally. So if you think about the body and, you know, we've all learned enough biology to know that the nervous system spans through the entire body. And, you know, we have the brain, we have the spinal cord, and then we have all the nerves that branch off of the spinal cord. So there are two main thoughts of traditional Chinese medicine. There's the more modern view, and then there's the more traditional or classical view. So um, the more modern view actually deals a lot with nervous system, and it deals with um, also the immune system and the endocrine system and all these different things that kind of culminate into the human body. So some things that we can do is we can actually do acupuncture near the spine where you have the herniated disc. And then we can also put some points on distal points um, that actually 
follow or are close to um, some major nerves that come off from that herniated disc. So since you're saying that it specifically is in the leg, it's probably more like maybe sciatica or sciatic nerve. And so what we can do is we can actually put some points and stimulate the sciatic nerve because um, when a condition becomes acute or if it becomes chronic, the whole idea is that the nerve is continuing to fire. Yeah. And so you kind of need some sort of stimulus to kind of just, you know, kind of reset um, the nerve firing. And so an acupuncture needle is one of those things. Um, so that's the modern approach. If we were looking at more of the traditional approach, then there is um, what we call meridians, which um, are pathways that connect the extremities of the body to the internal body as well. Um, so that means that in some ways, uh, you know, we can treat different areas of the body and still have an effect other ways. It's like if you were to turn on a light switch in a room, you know that the light switch is in one specific area, but it can actually turn on, you know, the lights in a room that's not even close by. That's kind of like what a meridian or a pathway is, is being able to access different areas of the body distally. Amazing, because I'm thinking as my nerves, that's what still fires up. I actually did have surgery over a year ago, but the pain I get is from the nerves, I, th I think, still firing up because they were yeah. um, damaged for so long. Yeah. So that's what I thought. I'm like, oh, yeah, I see. And it's gotten yeah. a lot better, but it's still, you can just feel that it's firing up when I do just something maybe it doesn't like. Things yeah. like that. So what's a big difference between traditional Chinese medicine and Western medicine? Or how, um, if there's not differences, how do they complement each other? We can touch on both. Yeah, sure. So the, the first difference I would say is that when you're seeing an acupuncturist or when you're seeing a tra traditional Chinese medicine practitioner, you're seeing someone who has undergone so much training to actually treat the entire body um, within one treatment. So what that means is instead of going to um, like multiple specialists, you know, usually when you go to your primary care provider or your general um, doctor, you, you, go in, you, know, you go in to see them for a specific issue and they'll refer you to another mm -hmm. specialist because they, they are the best at picking things apart and making things smaller and smaller and smaller up until it's like a, a super fine science, which is awesome. You know, there's no way that... Um, medicine would be where it's at now if um, Western medicine wasn't around. So um, it's really awesome that they have been able to really dissect things and really get things down to the smaller things. But then you have to realize that we are complex creatures and we are also integrated all together. So it's awesome that they can work, you know, like let's say for you, for example, you know, you probably went to a neurologist specifically for this sort of issue. Um, you know, like you can, you can see a neurologist and you can get treated just for your nerves. But what if that low back pain was actually causing you to have some digestive problems as well? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we would kind of look at it from both aspects and we'd be able to treat it from both aspects because they might actually be related. And that's the thing you're not going to get from a Western medicine practitioner per se. I mean, you might, but it's probably not the case. You'd go to a gastroenterologist, you know, if you had digestive issues as well. Um, so the main difference is, is, yeah, we would look at a person as a whole. We would ask them a bunch of different questions regarding their lifestyle, um, you know, what they're eating, because it's actually very important um, and kind of integrates into how a person is functioning from day to day. Um, and then Western medicine, again, is, is also really good at surgery. You know, you're not going to see an acupuncturist if you have a broken arm, right. for the most part. You know, in, in China, there is actually enough training where there's um, something similar to chiropractic care. Or it's called bone setting. Um, so, but that's in China. In the U.S., um, you know, we would be more helping to help with the healing process um, more so than, you know, going in to actually fix anything that's broken. So that's, that's generally the main big differences between the two is one looks at you from a whole holistic point of view and a functional point of view, whereas another one is kind of looking at you from what system is dysfunctional and should we, you know, give them some medication or should we take it out? You know, that, they're really good at surgery, um, right. which is awesome, you know, Sometimes that is definitely needed, but sometimes it's not, you know, if, uh, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of the main difference that I can think of. Um, but that's also one of the one things that you can see as they can complement each other, you know, like if, if you were to come in, like, let's say, 
let's say the herniated disc um, five years before was actually just some low back pain and it wasn't from, you know, an accident or anything. I'm not really sure entirely your history. I'm just kind of making it up. Um, But let's say it was just from some low back pain that was, you know, some muscle strain or something like that, just from bending over. Um, You would probably, it would be your best bet to see an acupuncturist first or maybe a chiropractor or someone who could help you kind of relax your muscles or get things set in place before it gets worse. So, um, we always talk about preventative medicine. And so I think that's the realm that traditional Chinese medicine falls in, um, in the sense of like musculoskeletal conditions. It's actually really good at also addressing, you know, like I said, allergies before or any other like internal conditions like digestive conditions, respiratory infections, um, because we're able to, like I said, balance out the energy. And so the main way that we do that is looking at the tongue and pulse. Um, In Chinese medicine, the pulse actually reflects um, the different organs in the body. Um, and the tongue also reflects different organs in the body and also like you as a whole. So if I were to look at your face, I could be like, you know, maybe you look like you're having, you know, some insomnia or something like that. There's a lot of different, um, ways that we can diagnose in traditional Chinese medicine, um, that we're taught in school. Um, Do you look at, do you do that a lot? Like just by looking at the person's face, I'm just, I'm not going to make you diagnose me, but I'm I think that's so cool. So you'll just look like like the skin or what? Yeah. So, so there's kind of different thoughts about it. There's like um, the complexion of someone's face, the color of someone's face. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes you can tell if someone's a little bit off, you know, like if their skin is not as rosy as it usually is, or if it's a little bit pale or things like that. Um, You know, it's, it's really, it, it takes a lot of time to really fine tune that skill for sure. I'm not, you know, there's, there's a saying in one of the classics that um, an amazing practitioner of traditional Chinese medicine can literally see someone walk through the door and be able to just look at them and be able to diagnose them, you know, from just the way that they look. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of a really cool thing that I'm, I haven't met someone who's that amazing yet. (laughs) Um, I'm sure there are. Right. And they're probably in China and they're probably in like a little village and they're just like taking care of everyone. And that's <laughs> right. awesome, you know. Um, but yeah, as you can see, like traditional Chinese medicine can complement Western medicine because it's able to kind of work on the preventative level. And that's also there to help with recovery. I see a lot of patients who have had surgery and they are still having pain symptoms, even though they've mm-hmm. had whatever it is that they had done. Um, and so the nice thing or the really cool thing I think about acupuncture is that we're one of the only practitioners that can stick such a small, fine needle in someone and have a result without, you know, usually hurting them more than, you know, like surgery per se. Like that's just kind right. of a comparison. And then we also, we also aren't dependent on medications, you know, like we can kind of help the body heal itself because as we all know, like the body is an amazing creature and it's able to Mm -hmm. really, you know, it's, it's a tough creature, you know, like we're all really resilient people. And so it's only when something is so severe um, that, you know, I usually say you should go see a Western medicine practitioner. If it's something like insomnia that isn't so bad, there's really no reason to take um, medication if you don't need to, because you also don't want to become dependent on things that, you know, maybe aren't benefiting you fully. So, yeah. I completely agree with you. And I'm forever grateful for my surgeon. It, to, it came to the point where I couldn't move off my bed and I have, yeah. you know, small children and I had just had my baby. So, but it was because of that and the recovery, I'm like, I'm 36 years old. I have three little kids. I can't live like this. And so I had started doing a bunch of reading as I was stuck in bed yeah. and nothing else to do about um, preventative medicine and I didn't want to be on painkillers which luckily I can't really take much because they make me sick so there was no getting hooked on those and there was a lot that came about with the mind yes and you know are you perceiving pain you know differently is there something you need to work through and so I was doing a ton with that and a ton with my digestive system because this was not the life I was going to live and with what you said about our bodies, how amazing they are. I'm like, my body can bounce back better than this. So what else is going on in my life that maybe I need to address? I'm still not sure if I addressed it. (laughs) Well, you know, it's a journey. It's a journey, right? Yeah. It it really is. So like I said, with the preventative, I think everyone can learn something from this because I think we're all very quick to 
want to take something like an easy fix because there's a problem and we have life and life's busy and we don't have time to maybe dig in. But how much better your life will be as you go on and you really dig down deep. So what kind of diagnosis do you currently treat? I know I've been talking about my back, and but you also talked about allergies. So obviously you yeah. probably work with people with allergies. Yeah, so I would say probably the majority of patients I do treat are pain management. Um, a lot of people, like you said, you know, they just don't want to take um, any more of their pain mm-hmm. medication because, um, you know, we know that there's an opioid crisis in the U.S. and we know, you know, that's a real thing. And the nice thing, too, is that um, so the Joint Commission, uh, which is this uh, certifying body for all the major hospitals in the U.S., they actually released a report um, stating that that not only acupuncturists, but really any sort of form of medicine that is able to help someone with pain management um, needs to start being included in hospitals. And mm-hmm. so that actually includes acupuncturists, chiropractors, physical therapists, really all of these allied health practitioners, um, you know, that can really, that can really help. And so um, in terms of, yeah, so in the majority of people I do treat are pain management. I do treat some people with insomnia, um, carpal tunnel, a lot of these musculoskeletal conditions. Um, I work with some athletes. And so for them, a lot of athletes, you know, they're just there because of the wear and tear of, you know, their, their job of, you know, just being an athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, I also work with a lot of patients who have anxiety and depression. And I think it's, it's because they're, they're noticing that um, with acupuncture and with the whole idea of holistic treatment, that, um, that they're able to, to really kind of bounce back from whatever they're having, um, especially with anxiety. You know, I think, I think in this day and age, we all know that social media and like the fast pace is kind of what's causing us to be really anxious all the time. Mm-hmm. And so when they're able to be on my table for 45 minutes to an hour and just kind of relax and kind of just have their body like completely tuned out of that environment, they're able to kind of reset every day that they come in. And so they learn that sort of feeling and are able to move past it. And so I think that's a really amazing thing when it comes to mind-body medicine, for sure. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought up depression, anxiety, because it is a big deal right now with the fast-paced life. When they come in and you're working with them, do you also um, deal with nutrition? Yeah. Yeah, because I always say that, I mean, we all know that the digestive system is essentially a second brain. We know that from, you know, research that's coming out that um, a lot of the serotonin receptors that work in our brain are actually located right in our large and small intestine, like in our gut. And so I always, with every single patient, I look at what they're eating and I say, you know, maybe you should consider, you know, eating something else, maybe eating this or that. Um, because in traditional Chinese medicine, we look at food in a very different way. Um, we don't look at it necessarily just for the nutrients that are in it. We also look at the properties of it. So um, there was this really like ancient, amazing uh, herbalist, you know, in the past, um, and I can't think of his name right now, but he essentially was able to determine um, the different properties of food from a traditional Chinese medicine point of view. So he looked at not only the taste of the, um, or the flavor of the particular food, he also looked at the energetic or temperature quality of it. So what that means is like, when we think of raw foods, you know, we think of salads, we think of smoothies, we think of fresh fruit and things like that. And that's awesome. But we, those, for the most part, most of those, most of raw food in general is a very cold substance. And I think that makes sense. You know, if you think about a salad, of course it's cold. Mm-hmm. Thinking about, you know, an apple or an orange, those are usually cold, you know, things like that. And we actually prefer them cold. Um, but in traditional Chinese medicine, um, the organ system that we kind of diagnose people on, um, certain organs, especially the digestive system in general, likes warm, um, warm foods. You know, and it makes sense if you think about it, you know, like when you're, when you're having a cup of hot chocolate, you would prefer that hot chocolate be hot. You know, Mm -hmm. I know there's chocolate milk and I know there's things like that that you can have instead, but for the most part, you're going to feel, you're going to feel a lot better having warm things than you are cold things. 
So um, in some ways, uh, just the way that nutrition is involved with traditional Chinese medicine is also tailored to everyone's condition. You know, there are some people who do really well on raw foods, and that means that their constitution is amazing and they're able to kind of, you know, just be able to digest it really well. But then for the majority of us, um, we want to kind of focus on having more like um, neutral foods or things that are combined well together to kind of create that neutral sort of uh, temperature outlook. So it's a little bit, I can definitely go into that more, but essentially the whole idea is your digestion um, works the best when you're eating warm foods and not raw cold foods. So really it's just cooking up the foods you like that are raw? Is that yeah, essentially what it, it is? I mean, pretty much, you know, like in, in, in at least Chinese cuisine, at least in, in China, there was never any salad. Everything was always cooked. Mm. And I'm sure there's more reasons why that was the case. But I think because of um, how traditional Chinese medicine is so ingrained in Chinese culture, it's probably just something that, you know, we all learned or all Chinese mm. people kind of learned through their parents and, and traditions and things like that is that if you're going to eat vegetables, you should eat them um, cooked with, you know, a little bit of garlic, a little bit of ginger, just to kind of balance out the energetic properties of that food. I've never thought about how, at least not much, how raw food versus cooked food, how my body does with it. I just yeah. like, Oh, I'm eating my plants. <laughs> I'm eating yeah, my well, also, I would always look, you know, even regardless if you're if you're going to look at it from a traditional Chinese medicine point of view, I always tell people, look at where you're eating, kind of pay attention to how you feel after eating it. Mm -hmm. If you eat a salad, if you have a smoothie and you feel tired after eating that, that means your digestion is working over time to mm -hmm. first either neutralize the cold temperature of that food or it's probably just not the best thing that like you're not able to really just digest it as well as something that was, you know, maybe warm or just something different. Right. That's definitely something to think about as you eat. And I do, I try to pay attention with the foods, but I think with our, a lot of our just typical American foods, they're not very healthy. So those definitely do not make me feel good. And yeah. I try to stick away from those. But when I'm eating better, I do, I do notice how I feel, but there's still times where I'm pretty tired. And so it's, let's take it a step further and maybe yeah. pay attention a little more when you're eating really well. So exactly. I bet you can find out some interesting things with that. Yeah. So with Biteable Foods, obviously they're presented by No Better Live Best. And how do you see transparency maybe making a difference in your life or in your practice? Yeah. So it's, um, I mean, transparency of food is always important because we always want to know where our food comes from, what it's been treated with. Um, I'm definitely a big proponent of the whole non-GMO movement. Um, even as a microbiologist or person with a microbiology background, like I know that the majority of fruits and vegetables nowadays are not the same ones that we as a culture or even as a human race had in the past. You know, I've seen definitely those pictures of like what a banana really should look like or what corn really looks like or what all these things really look like. But that was not necessarily what I would consider genetic modification as it is today because if you're breeding a certain plant to look a certain way and you're selecting it by hand, that's very mm -hmm. different than inserting a gene from a virus or a bacteria into that plant and not really giving it enough time to really know what it's going to do in the future. So that's, that's my personal opinion. I know there's a lot of studies also done on that, but I do, but when it comes to food transparency, I am a huge proponent of, you know, again, like where food comes from, how it's been raised, how it's been um, grown and things like that. And also because I understand that with transparency, you're also looking at how it affected that local community. And I think that's something that's becoming more prevalent nowadays. I think, you know, we learn about like palm oil and we learn about coconuts and we learn about avocados and we learn that the environmental impact on those local communities is actually not the best, even though here in the U.S. we are always like, oh, it's a superfood or, oh, it's the next like cure for or, like everything, you know? So don't get me wrong. I love coconut oil, but, um, but still, I think, I think it's important, you know, just to know that really everything is about moderation when it comes to eating and not really mm -hmm. focusing on what's the next superfood. 
Oh, I agree. And just like I said, paying attention to your body, knowing what's good yeah. for you. But then outside of that, I think we have such a big job of looking into where our food comes from, yeah. how we're washing it. I think it goes bigger than just knowing what to eat. It's now with you know technology these days and everything people can do, our food is altered, like you said. Yeah. And how can we still make those good decisions for us, our family, helping out our friends and yeah. all the above. Exactly. So your website was pretty impressive. There was a lot of things on there that I, I've heard about, but I do not know much about. Sure. So we've talked about acupuncture already, yes. which I'm really interested in. But what about electroacupuncture? What's the difference? I mean, yeah, I so, guess here. <laughs> yeah, so electroacupuncture, if you can imagine, um, I think most people are familiar with the TENS unit, which is mm -hmm. you know the pads that they put on their back. It's really good for muscle stimulation. And sometimes if you crank it up your muscles, you know, you become fish out of water, kind of just flopping everywhere. Um, so uh, the main differences are what e-stim is, is essentially hooking up the needles to an electric current. And so there's a whole body of acupuncture out there that focuses on e-stim because um, we know that, you know, the body is full of electric currents. We know that the brain focuses mm -hmm. on chemical signals that actually produce different charges and those charges cause biological actions to happen. And so there's been enough research out there showing that different frequencies that are actually through e-stim um, of the acupuncture needles will actually have an effect on the body. So for instance, let's say someone came in for muscle pain. Um, we would hook them up with the acupuncture. We'd put acupuncture needles into the local area or along the points um, or the meridians or things like that. And then we would connect it to an electric current through an Easton machine, which will essentially, you know, give out an electric current and electric impulses that will um, increase the um, production of like uh, different neurotransmitters, especially the endogenous opioids, which are these pain receptors or pain molecules in our body that we just naturally make. And so what you're doing is with e-stim, you're essentially, you're essentially kind of helping the body like heal itself in some ways. And so that's, that's what electroacupuncture is. And it can be used on a wide variety of conditions from pain to depression. Um, it can help with hot flashes because mm. these are all things that you know hormonal things are all you know electrically like charged in some ways like they're just all related um to that whole like endocrine system and things like that yeah. and there's probably obviously different times and places for acupuncture versus electro acupuncture yeah. Exactly. So, so with acupuncture, you kind of, you can do, I mean, you can technically do a whole body treatment with both. Um, but I use Easton mainly for people who do have muscle pain. Okay. Um, but there are, you know, there are practitioners beyond me that are so pro at this that they can just know exactly what that frequency needs to be, how long it needs to be and things like that. So, but I use mainly um, Easton for muscle pain. Awesome. Yeah. So Chinese herbal medicine and supplements was on there too. Is that something yeah. you recommend to all patients or does it depend on what their diagnosis is? Yeah, it really depends on what their um, traditional Chinese medicine diagnosis is. Um, so in Chinese medicine, the way that we diagnose people is a lot different than Western medicine. So we don't actually look at the disease. We look at the person's presentation. Mm -hmm. So um what can be insomnia in one person can technically be insomnia in another person from a Western medicine point of view. But from a Chinese medicine point of view, the, the cause of that insomnia or the reason why that person is having insomnia can be completely different. Um, so when it comes to treating them with Chinese herbal medicine, what we're doing is we're actually using herbs that are, I would say about 50 to 70% are actually just foods, you know, like, one of the main herbs that we love using is ginger. You know, okay. that's, it's just ginger. It's just dried ginger. Um, there's ginger, there's cinnamon, there's dates. There's a lot of different seeds and fruits and vegetables that when dried and when combined in a certain way, actually have a medicinal property to them. And I think that's such an amazing thing. Um, I remember there was, I think it was probably three or four years ago, there was a Nobel Prize um, winner who was, um, she was like a biochemist in China and she was actually able to 
extract a particular um, chemical from uh, an herb to treat malaria. And the way that she was actually able, she was, you know, focusing on this one particular herb forever. And I forget what herb it is. Um, but the only way she was able to actually extract that particular molecule was by going back to the classic Chinese text and cooking it exactly the way it said it was supposed to be cooked. And I think that's like such an amazing thing that we're looking at, you know, classical Chinese text. And for whatever reason, the person um, who wrote that text just knew that it could treat someone if you cooked it, boiled it, you know, dried it out, and then recooked it with this amount of time, this amount, and then ha having it have that effect. So that's kind of the amazing thing. And I think one thing that the general public should know is that a lot of the medications out there, the Western medications, are were actually derived from different herbs around the world. Because what they did is they looked at how herbs were being used by certain communities, and then they went into the lab and they extracted it, you know, doing what they do best, looking at every single small molecule, and just really looking for that one thing that was able to kind of have an effect on a receptor or on a particular neurotransmitter. Um, but like humans, herbs are... Um, you have to look at them as a whole thing. You can't just break it down to a small molecule mm -hmm. and expect it to be able to work the way that you want it to because plants are complex beings too. They have DNA. So they also, you know, they also have different ways of functioning as well. So I think that's kind of an important thing that we have to look at. Um, but that's, yeah, that's basically Chinese herbal medicine is it's a combination of different, um, different plant matter. Sometimes it's like a root, sometimes it's a leaf, sometimes it's a branch um, combining it all together and it's able to, kind of have an effect on different areas of the body i think this is so exciting like food yeah. is medicine it really is food exactly. is medicine it's, so this yeah. really exciting thing but yeah. then i get overwhelmed because there's so much that goes into actually oh, yeah. tr treating your body and obviously i'm on the right path with me but there's so much more i can do so it's kind of a little overwhelming yeah. it's just to get one day at a time just you know yeah. something new or look into a new food that you haven't tried or because sure. um, my big thing has been reducing inflammation so okay. i've been looking into like you know Turmeric. Am I, am I say that right? Turmeric. Yeah, turmeric. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. So a few different things, um, and trying to keep dairy out of my diet because I know that can be an inflammatory. So, yeah. Anyways, that's a whole nother story. But I get really excited when we start talking about food and yeah. how that can really help us. It's just yeah. one of my current passions right now that will be a lifelong thing, and hopefully everyone can get the excitement about it too. Yeah. So this one was fun cupping, and this is what I think of with we said cupping and then massage. <laughs> I'm thinking back to like Olympics and Jared Phelps yep. and all the Olympians, they were um, cupping and it was this big craze all over the news. Like what, what is this cupping? So it had the marks on it. So maybe exactly. you can explain exactly what these swimmers were doing. Yeah. So cupping. Um, yeah, exactly. It was, it was made famous by um, a lot of athletes during the Olympics, you know, mainly mm -hmm. Michael Phelps, as well as some of the Chinese athletes. Um, and so what cupping is, is there's, there's, um, it's also called myofascial decompression. And I think that's probably, I think physical therapists probably use that term over cupping. Um, but essentially what we're doing is we're taking, well, it also kind of depends what kind of, kind of cupping you're doing. There's, there's the one, there's a the plastic cups where they, and you've probably seen that on the Olympics. Um, they have these plastic cups and there's like a little uh, trigger that kind of manually sucks the air out. Um, they're both, and I, I use actually the, um, the fire cups. So Either way, you're creating a vacuum in this like one-ended um, sort of contraption. And so the whole idea is you're pulling up on the muscle, which is also pulling up on the underlying tissue and the skin and the fascia. And you're really sucking up like all the blood, lymph, and things like that that are naturally just flowing through your body. And you're, you are causing a little bit of like damage you know that's why it gets really red right so from from that point of view you're kind of just telling the body like look this area needs to be healed and so i'm causing maybe a little bit of damage but um you know i always tell people it it looks worse than it feels <laughs> because it actually feels really good afterwards and it's not okay. really it doesn't have the same properties as an actual bruise um so if you were to touch a cupping mark it doesn't hurt at all really um, but yeah yeah um, but anyways, again, the whole idea is really just to bring more blood and lymph to a certain area of the body um, to have it heal. 
um there's that's more of like the the main like muscle point of view of of how most athletes use it Mm -hmm. from a chinese medicine point of view there's other ways of using it like if you had a cold or if you had the flu we can actually put cupping along certain points on your back because what we're doing is we're actually stimulating the lungs as well if you think about it you know along the back there's all these nerves that innervate the different organs of the body and so when we're cupping we're actually pulling up on not only the underlying tissue but we're also pulling up on the nerves and by stimulating the nerves as well in the body we're actually able to have effects on the internal um, system of the body and so if someone has a cold we can actually kind of up the immune system a little bit just to help you get over that cold or that flu a little bit faster um, So that's kind of the main thing that cupping is used for is there's two aspects of it. There's, you know, like I said, the immune system aspect of it, as well as the musculoskeletal aspect of it. The immune system aspect is just fascinating to me, really, like a cold or a flu. I was just talking about a cold to my friend the other day because it's been really warm here. And she had like the worst sounding cold. And like it's 90 degrees out and you have a cold. That is the worst thing ever. And she's actually the same friend that um, goes to an acupuncturist. But like I said, I'm not sure who. And you can cup to decrease symptoms or just like the longevity of it. Is that the yeah, idea? Yeah, it's, it's to decrease, decrease symptoms. I mean, depending on how, um, how good the diagnosis is or how good like the acupuncture is as well. So you wouldn't just do cupping by itself for that particular issue. You probably take herbs, you probably get acupuncture and cupping to kind of just have them um, all three really work well together. Um, but yeah, it can decrease the amount of time that you'll be, essentially spending in bed you know Mm -hmm. so why not get some cupping and be able to kind of heal a little bit faster than if you were you know just taking medication right and as you're trying to help yourself anyway through at least herbs or um, the way you're eating that goes a long way too but all those together would definitely help out because everyone's busy no one has time for a cold exactly exactly (laughs) anyway to get you back on your feet quicker yeah so this one, I, I wrote these down. That's why I keep looking down because I knew yeah. I wouldn't remember. And I'm going to completely sabotage this, but I'm going to try okay. anyway, okay? Okay. <laughs> medical Qigong treatment. Yeah, so medical Qigong. 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 Yeah, so what medical Qigong is, it's, um, it's part of the five branches, again, of traditional Chinese medicine. And so um, when I talk about, like, the meridians of the body, what we actually are talking about is qi. So qi is this idea or this um, this uh, kind of aspect that we acupuncturists in traditional Chinese medicine work with, and it's kind of like I would say it's it's essentially like let me see I forget how many body systems there's are you know there's like the cardiovascular respiratory things like that. Right. Qi is essentially a, a completely separate system, so mm-hmm. it's it's included with it. it but it in, but the nice thing is it actually integrates all of them together. So. So, um, so the whole idea with medical qigong, um, tai chi, anything that has the word qi in it, is essentially you're working on this completely different system that is actually the one thing that unites all of these different systems together to make you who you are. And so that's what acupuncture does is the meridians are filled with qi and they go into the internal organs and they go into the out into the extremities, the head, the everywhere in the entire body. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, medical Qigong particularly um, is the medicine of treating someone else with your qi. So I, as the practitioner, I would have a patient lying on my treatment table. I would go through the whole process of the diagnosis, um, go through their history of present illness and things like that. And then I would actually do medical Qigong on them. So if you've imagined, like you've probably seen like all these Kung Fu movies where at some point there's like, these old men and women in a park kind of doing some different flowy sort of movements and things like that, that would be either Tai Chi or Qigong. And so what they're actually doing is they're cultivating their Qi. When we mean cultivating, it's exactly the same as like yoga. We're like forming our breath. We're kind of helping things flow a little bit easier, a little bit better. And so that's what Tai Chi and Qigong is. You're, you're building up the, your internal energy and you're making sure everything is flowing through those meridians really well. And so that's why the idea behind medical Qigong or the idea behind Qigong and Tai Chi is that you're actually kind of prolonging or you're, you're cultivating your life force and you're able to actually handle different, different aspects of life a lot better than if maybe you weren't doing it. So 
medical qigong is where I, as the practitioner, am actually manipulating the person's, their qi with my qi. So I'm not intertwining anything, you know, because I know that there's like this whole aspect of energetic medicine um, where it can be a little bit um, abstract and really kind of far-fetched. But essentially what I'm doing is I'm, I'm moving the, the qi in their body to balance things out where I'm noticing maybe there's some blockages. Maybe I'm also noticing that maybe the qi is not supposed to be in this area and maybe it needs to flow more in this area. So what I would usually say or how I would tell someone what qi feels like is imagine getting really angry and imagine all of the heat just rising up in your head. That would be like one sensation of chi is like just that anger kind of coming up into your head. Maybe you notice that your ears ring a little bit. Maybe you notice you start sweating, but your face gets really red and flushed. Mm -hmm. That would be kind of an idea of like what chi kind of feels like, but that would be a dysfunction of chi. You know, obviously if a person was really well grounded, they wouldn't experience emotions on such an extreme level. Um, but with medical qigong, that's essentially what I'm doing is I'm treating a person's um, qi body or qi with my qi by moving things around um, because I've cultivated enough in myself that I can actually feel someone else's and kind of have an effect on it. So that's kind of what the whole idea is. Wow. Yeah. So is that a lot of times when you feel emotions like too big? Is that part be. of that? It could be, you know, there's dysfunction of chi are if you feel emotions too much or also if you feel emotions too little you know oh. like like there is there is an idea of like if you're if you're never sad if you're never happy if you're never angry that can be a dysfunction of chi as well because um you should have all these emotions you right know? like it's it's a completely normal aspect of of living so yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you are a primal health coach too. Is that part of yeah. one of the hats you wear, I think? Yeah. So, so I'm, yeah. So primal health coaches through um, the primal health Institute, um, which is a um, essentially a, a certification where I can work with someone really just focusing on their, on their, um, on their health through food. So I focus on, you know, um, a primal health coach is someone who focuses on eating whole foods, staying away from certain things that we just know are not good for the body, like mm -hmm. um, certain types of oils that can you know, be pro-inflammatory, which we don't want. Um, and then also just processed foods in general. Like the whole idea is to stay away from processed foods because a lot of processed foods are created with a lot of pro-inflammatory ingredients and oils and just things that don't really benefit us or our health very well. So I got into that because I was super interested in nutrition and I wanted to learn a little bit more through a certification um, that I kind of agreed with. So I kind of looked more into it and then um, de decided that, that was kind of one of the major certification um, that I would be interested in doing. And so it's a, it's a whole, it's like a eight to nine month um, online learning sort of class wow. where you get to learn a lot about ancestral health um, you get to learn about um, how to eat like a primal person, which is, you know, very, just very basic things, you know. So that's kind of, that's kind of the whole idea behind primal health coaching is just me being able to convey that information to someone um, just to kind of live a more, a more simple life. I think, I think when it comes to diets, we all get wrapped up in like um, counting macros and things mm -hmm. like that. But it's really more about the quality of food that you're eating and not necessarily the quantity because your body again is so good at telling you when you should be eating and how much you should be eating. Right. And my life's been so much easier since like I said, I've been trying to plant based for me. I have many fails. Don't get me wrong, yeah. <laughs> but I've noticed I'm not counting calories. I'm not doing this. I just, I'm just eating, you know, so much beans, you know, fruits and vegetables, you know, maybe very little bit of whole grains and my body's responding for me very well to that, but it's not, I'm not tired. I'm not yeah. like, Oh, how much of this did I have too much? Do I need to stop now? It's like my body tells me more. And for me, that's easier with yeah. the primal health coaching. How has that changed your life? Has you, have you noticing different just with like you in general? Yeah. So I'm, um, I've noticed, I mean, for me, it's always been looking at food labels. And I think mm -hmm. I, I think I know you guys were talking about how um, food labels are, are so important. So it's really just yes. looking at what's in our food. So if you were to 
Um, and the whole idea is obviously if you could avoid getting any food that had food labels, then you would be on the right track anyways, because for the most part, anything with food labels is essentially something that's been processed. Mm -hmm. So if you just steer clear there, I remember, um, that essentially if you go to a grocery store, you always, you always want to stay on the outside or the perimeter of the grocery store if you're wanting to avoid any of those food labels yes. because um, all the processed food is all in the middle because it's mm -hmm. shelf stable versus like something that goes bad in the, you know, deer, or in the vegetables, produce area, or even the meat area. Um, so for me, it's, it's definitely been um, trying to be more aware of what I eat, how it affects mm -hmm. my energy levels, how it affects my workouts um, when I'm doing CrossFit and things like that. Um, so I always, you know, and, and again, it's always a journey because whenever there comes an event and there's cake, it's always like, ah, oh, you know, like, I know I shouldn't do it. Yep. You know, you just need, I know that this is going to kind of cost me the next couple of days, but, um, but you know, you, we also have to understand that um, food is such a social thing. Yes, you know, it it's, is. it's just ingrained in our culture. And so there's kind of two ways to look at it. You can look at it, you know, maybe you enjoy the time with someone else and you stick to your own diet and you stick to your eating lifestyle and you can still enjoy your time with them or you can indulge with them and then also, you know, kind of deal with the after effects. Um, but the whole idea is like, if you can be that type of person that other people look forward, you know, are able to um, learn from, then maybe you wouldn't have to, maybe you can also affect other people's lives. And so with primal health coaching, the whole idea is to kind of invite other people into the primal health lifestyle, which is again, just eating more whole foods and not processed foods. And so when you build a community of people around you, I think that that sort of mm -hmm. builds upon itself and then you're able to affect more people. So it's not so much just a, a diet, it's a way of um, being able to kind of build a community that everyone can benefit from. Well, it's, it's a lifestyle change, but not looking negatively upon others exactly. that choose something different. And that's what I've noticed in my life. I have friends that eat the way I do. I have friends that don't. I have family members that are curious about it. And so they're changing little bits that work for them. And I just love it. It's just a positive thing. Food's a social thing. Exactly. I've decided you brought the cake and I was just kind of laughing in my head because I was listening to a different podcast one time. And like, you just need to decide what kind of person you are. Are you someone that never eats sugar? Or are you someone like maybe you're at a wedding or a birthday party and then you have a piece of cake because it's a special event. And that's yeah, what I decided I am. I'm like, I'm not going to say no sugar because I'll right. fail but maybe yeah. I'm one of those people like you go to a special event <laughs> and you indulge with your friends and I just yeah. thought it was kind of funny I'm like well it's a good way to think about it I'm not yeah. someone who you know gets a piece of cake you know at lunch every day but I'm yeah. like, someone who has one at a wedding or a birthday party so pretty exactly. fun I have to laugh a little bit too I got a little bit distracted I kept looking off so my four-year-old I have three kids my four-year-old just woke up and he's uh -huh. probably his cheese probably all out of whack no. yeah. <laughs> he feels things really big as most four-year-olds yeah and so he looked very um confused and was trying to find his way and I'm like I have a feeling he might wake up during this and it's not <laughs> he held together okay I was kind of impressed by that yeah <laughs> So sorry for being a little distracted there. No, it's okay. As I am at home and it's, you know, 8.30 our time, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, the, the amazing thing with acupuncture too is, um, well, from a Chinese medicine point of view, kids and children are just, they are able to change so well. So like if, you're, if your kid was able ever to have a cold, you can actually, you know, if you find someone or an acupuncturist who is comfortable with needling children, they will bounce back so much faster if you just did like a small treatment on them. So that's really? the nice thing about acupuncture is it's, it's literally for everyone. Um, it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, it's able to work on you. And so that's the amazing thing about it. That's, that's kind of one thing that, you know, when you talked about like your kid being kind of full of chi, like he is. And that's, that's the good thing, you know, is right. that when someone is full of chi, that actually means that you're able to treat them and they're able to bounce back from something so fast. It's, you know, it's like when you think about maybe some of like older people, like their chi is kind of being depleted as their mm -hmm. life goes on. And so it's a lot harder to treat them as time goes on. So that kind of goes back to like treatments, right? Like, you always want to get treated when something happens immediately and not wait for it. 
So right. you never want something to turn into a chronic condition because um, even though we live busy lives, we, mm -hmm. I always say to my patients who are like, well, how, how many treatments should I get? Well, I'll say, how long did it get you to get here? You know, right. like, like acupuncture is not a one, a one-stop fix. It's not going to be um, like some medication I'm going to give you and you're going to have an effect you know, within a couple hours. It takes time to kind of balance everything's out and, and kind of get um, things flowing where they maybe weren't flowing before. So, right. So people who are older or the elderly, do you still recommend it or is it just oh, more yeah. challenging? That's all it is. No, I would, I would definitely recommend it because I've had so many um, elderly patients come in and they've had like numbness or tingling in their arms for so long and nothing was helping them. Um, and I've done a little bit of e-stim on them and then mm -hmm. they within like five or six treatments they're like, wow, I can actually feel my fingers. Or I can feel things, you know, that I never felt before. Um, and so I, I think, you know, like I said, everyone can benefit from it. Right. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, it's, I think it's one of those things we get used to the way we live and things that shouldn't be normal seem normal to us. And then yeah, when you actually course. feel better, you're like, this is how I could have been living this whole time. Yeah. And I agree with you. I let my back go too long, years <laughs> actually too long. Yeah. And like I said, I thought I could heal it naturally on my own. That was me trying, trying to not um, go too far. But definitely, I agree with you, Get get help as soon as you think something's popping up because you'll yeah. regret it otherwise. Yeah. So why don't you tell everyone how we can find you? Because yeah, you are so, so much information for everyone. Yeah. So um, there's a couple of ways you can find me. You can find me through social media. So I do have an Instagram account. Um, I believe it's at boxacutcm. You can visit my website, um, www.boxacupuncture.com. Um, I do have a Facebook page and things like that. And I'm not the biggest like I'm not so social media involved so if I haven't posted anything in a long time that's completely normal <laughs> um, but I do answer emails I do answer phone calls every single time someone calls me um, but I'm also here in San Jose if anyone's you know watching this in San Jose California um, I have a clinic that I work alongside a, an amazing chiropractor um, here in Willow Glen so you know if anyone wants to come in and get a treatment or kind of learn about acupuncture um, definitely let me know it doesn't sound like anyone would regret it if they did. Yeah. So what are some final thoughts you have for our listeners? Yeah, so I, I really just, you know, I want everyone to kind of look at acupuncture from a different point of view. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, even today I, I went to get a haircut just for this podcast. And so I was, thank you. So um, I was telling um, the hairstylist that I went to, it was a completely new hairstylist, you know, she was like, well, what do you do for a living? I was like, well, I'm an acupuncturist. And the first thing she asked me was like, well, does that really work? And I said, you know, I think that's that's kind of what a lot of people think of when they think right. of acupuncture. So the, the takeaway um, is that acupuncture here in the U.S., um, the, the amount of training and the amount of education we have to have in order to be an acupuncturist is so much. Um, just even talking about California, we have to have about... 3,500 hours or three and a half to four years of education. And it's graduate school education. It's not actually like a certificate program or something like a massage therapist that maybe does like an eight or nine month program. Right. It's a complete um, educational program where we have to learn Western medicine. We have to be able to recognize different signs and symptoms that are red flags if we need to refer someone immediately to an emergency care. Um, and we also, uh, you know, we are healthcare practitioners. And so here in the US, like we're blessed that acupuncture has become um, accepted by most major insurances. And I think that's, that even that in and of itself shows that we're a very serious profession that works right. on helping people with their um, health concerns. So if you're ever thinking about, you know, pain management, or if you have um, a cold or allergies or anything like that, and you don't want to take medication, then definitely consider looking at an acupuncturist or seeing an acupuncturist because, um, again, we're here to help you guys um, kind of balance everything out with your lives and, I, I love working with people. And so um, whenever someone asks me like, well, does acupuncture work? I'm like, well, what do you really have to lose? You know, like I'm right. not doing surgery on you. I'm not removing anything from your body. I'm just going to stick a very hair, like very thin needles that are smaller than a sewing needle into like certain points, probably less than 10 points um, just to help you relax. And I think if you were, if I think the other idea too is like, 
most people, I would say probably 95 to 99% of my patients, they come in and after I put in those initial uh, acupuncture needles, they're passed out. They're sleeping, they're snoring, they're listening to music, they're enjoying their life in that, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. So really you have nothing to lose other than, you know, maybe having some of your symptoms addressed. Maybe you feel really good the next day. Maybe your shoulders are a little bit lighter. Maybe your sleep is a little bit deeper. Maybe, you know, allergies aren't as bad. So, um, so why not try it out? You know, like I said, it's, it's not, it's nothing that's going to harm you. Mm -hmm. Um, it's super non-invasive. Um, so, so that's kind of the one thing I want people to take away from this too, is that when you see an acupuncturist, you're seeing someone that can address so many of your concerns, um, with just one visit, you know, and I think, I think that's, that's really awesome. And we're, we're all here for our patients. And I think that's the other thing too, is that, um, the majority of patients I do see, they're kind of fed up with their doctors because, you know, they're being seen by like a nurse practitioner, they're seen by a physical or physician's assistant who's spending maybe a couple minutes with them. Mm-hmm. And then the doctor comes in five to 10 minutes, um, you know, ask you how you're doing, maybe go over your concerns and then um, either refers you to another practitioner or gives you like a prescription pad of medication. And so a lot of them don't, a lot of them, when they see me, they're like, wow, you actually spent like 30 minutes talking with me about my health concerns and you're actually working to help me address them through many different avenues, not just through diet, but also through your lifestyle, through your sleeping habits, through, you know, so many aspects of our lives that in traditional Chinese medicine, it's all integrated into one person. It's not just, um, are you exercising or are you not exercising? It's Mm -hmm. not just, um, you know, what are you eating or things like that. It's, it's everything. We want to make sure that all of our patients feel good and are able to, you know, function on a day to day and be able to, you know, be able to be really um, hardy people because we can all agree, you know, life out there in the modern world is hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard, you know? So um, yeah. So that's kind of where I want, what I want people to know about us. Absolutely. So for everyone out there that would like to treat more of the cause and not just the symptoms, I think yeah. it would be a great place to go. Because I think a lot of times we're just treating the symptoms because you know, so the doctors, everyone's so busy. And yeah. it's like you're looking at the whole entire person that's so important. I think it's a great route to check, especially if you don't want another prescription filled. You really want to see how amazing your body is yeah, and what exactly. it can do for you. Oh, well, Erin, thank you so much for coming on today. I know I got a ton out of this, and acupuncture is not something I was really familiar about. So this was just so eye-opening for me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, thanks a lot. Bye. Have a good one.